Good morning, Baylife. How's it going? Did you have a good weekend? Beautiful day for a picnic. If you don't know, uh, if you're new to our church, we're having a church picnic today. We call it the Bonanza. It's going to be awesome. And uh, we've got everybody uh, in the back here getting all ready for us to come and hang out, eat some barbecue, enjoy some uh, fun together as a church family. We're going to have a, a, just a first time ever Battle of the Ages extravaganza at this thing, so you're going to want to come and see that as well. Uh, I do want to let you know, though, that if you're coming, there's going to be a big group of you, and this is the only church chair. This is the only chair we have. So uh, if you don't want to you know, sit on people's laps, you're going to want to bring your own chair because this is the only chair we have. So everybody got one of these? If you're coming this afternoon, bring one with you so that you have a place to sit. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Luke chapter 5. As we could uh, continue our study of the book of Luke, we started back at Christmas, and we're just kind of going through verse by verse to figure out who Jesus is. And today we're going to find out that Jesus is someone who is always doing a new thing in the stories that we read in Luke and in the story of our lives. Jesus wants to bring good change, new change uh, to our lives. Some of us like change, some of us don't, uh, but I assure you that every change Jesus wants to bring is going to be for your betterment as he seeks to give you life and life to the full. I've switched this sermon twice uh, since I wrote it on Wednesday, uh, 45 minutes before I started preaching last night, and then again this morning. So I preach like 45 times a year. This one may or may not work out. I'm just telling you right now. So I'm asking you to pray with me as we get ready to listen to what God has to say through me. Pray that he speaks and I don't, okay? And then we'll hear what we need to hear. Amen? So let's pray together. God, thanks so much for your word. And for this chance to get into it, and Lord, uh, I am excited about what what we read here. I want to make sure that I say it the way you want me to, so would you please push me aside and speak in my place? Would you take even the words that I say and manipulate them in the air as they head to the ears of these listeners so that they hear what you want to say if it's not what I'm saying? Uh, Just make sure that you're heard clearly today, this morning, God. Uh, Thanks for our church. Thanks we get to be a family together. We get to celebrate uh, what you've done uh, in us and through us at, at things like this bonanza. Uh, but thanks, God, that you've made us a family uh, through our faith in your son, Jesus. And thanks for all the new things that he's brought into our lives. Help us to be ready for every new thing that he wants to create in us and to be open to him. Keep us from making our own box of how he should be and, and how he is. Help us to just follow uh, the lead of your son, Jesus, as we follow him in life. That's my prayer, and we uh, pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. This past Monday morning, I went to the DMV down on Falkenberg, been there, tried to avoid it as much as possible, but it was unavoidable. I uh, uh, just got a new car. Uh, that's a long story. I don't have time, but uh, uh, new-to-me car. That's how I, I get cars. And uh, uh, so I needed to register it. Monday morning, I don't know if you remember this, President's Day. Everybody went to school, but a lot of you, if you have government jobs, you didn't, you didn't go to work. Uh, and so no one showed up at the DMV that day that could actually help me with my... Now, I drove there at like 7.30 so I could be there on, you know, in time to get in line and get out of there fast so I could get to work. But I drove up in time to watch everybody who had been there before me be like, oh, and walk to their cars, right, because that's when they finally figured out. I mean, seriously, like 30 people were just walking away angry from the DMV Monday morning because they hadn't paid attention to the calendar. So I go back Tuesday. Now everybody who had been there Monday was back on Tuesday, and everybody who had planned all along to go on Tuesday was there on Tuesday. It was the longest line outside of a DMV building that I have ever seen. I'm not kidding. It started at the door. It went all the way, snaked all the way through the parking lot, through all the cars, and when I got there, I was probably 60th or 70th in this line. 
So I just grabbed the TBT, stood in line, started reading the paper, waiting for the doors to open. Someone behind me had been there the, the morning before, uh, probably in that group of people who were like, oh, and, uh, and he was explaining to the guy who was just waiting in line with him, hey, this is what happened yesterday, came up here, it was closed, that's why there's so many people here today, blah, blah, blah. And they said, well, why was it closed? And the guy said, well, I'm not sure, but I think Sunday was President's Day. And so they closed the offices on Monday. And the guy who was talking was like, oh, yeah, I heard that. I heard that the, you know, Sunday was President's Day. And they just went off. Has anybody ever heard someone in a conversation say something that was just wrong and you knew the right answer? And it's everything in you not to butt in and be like, hey, dodos. President's Day was Monday. That's why the office was closed. But these guys, I'm not kidding, they went like 30 seconds on how President's Day was Sunday. And I think they were just doing it to see if I would react. I don't know. I don't, you know. But I held it in, just kept reading the sports section. But I was like, oh. And I don't know about you, but it just bothers me when I know that people are wrong. And, And you know what really bothers me? When I know that people are wrong and I tell them and they still won't accept that they're wrong. You know, like our little, like, don't you love it when your little kids come up to you and they tell you, Dad, you know what those are? Those, those, uh, those cookies are uh, Big Newtons. Big Newtons? No, they're not. They're Fig Newtons. No, they're Big Newtons. Because it's in their head, that's what the, but like they can't read. Like, 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 like I can see the cookies and I can read the word Fig Newton. But you try to explain it to the kid and they're like, no, those are Big Newtons. Right? You just want to, you know. Now, <laughs> there is a way that life is supposed to go. God is the creator of all things, is the ordainer of that way. And don't you think that when Jesus came to earth, he had the same kind of experience? Like he was constantly in a DMV line where people thought President's Day was on Sunday. <laughs> right? And he was constantly being told, well, this is how it is. And he's like, no, this is how it is because I'm the one who made how things are. Think that frustrated him? And every once in a while, you just see him kind of throw his hands up with his, like his, his closest ends, his disciples. And be like, oh, you guys, you don't get it, you don't get it. You don't. And these guys were like, I don't get it. And, and, but then there'd be the Pharisees who we're going to see today. And they were adamant that Jesus, well, he was just wrong. That's why they ended up killing him. Because he was just, he was heretical and he was doing everything wrong. But here he was, the son of God, come to earth. To set things right, and people still wouldn't believe him. Remember when he preached the Sermon on the Mount? He preached the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what he basically said in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, "You have heard it said, but I say to you." And so he would say, "You've heard this law, and, and you know you shall not commit adultery." Uh, but I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've come, like remember him saying all those kinds of things. He just said over and over again, "You've heard it said, but I say to you." You've heard. He, he came. <laughs> he came to to set things straight, because. The world that he came to had things all wrong. Are you with me? He's still doing that today. Like if you're kind of new to the church thing, uh, you probably have some ideas about God. You've constructed your own theology. We'll call it folk theology. It's your theology. It's what you think of God. And you've made your box. This is where God fits. This is how he acts and how he works. And this is what I think about God. And that's how it is. But Jesus comes to earth. 
Uh, we have uh, in our Bibles the, the record of his arrival. We have the story of the early church and the things that God uh, inspired the early church, our Bible writers to write there. And so we have Jesus' plan for how life is supposed to go. And, and so if you're here this morning and you've got your box, I'm asking you to open your box today and listen to me talk about Jesus and the way things are supposed to go. But even if you're a Christian for a long time, you know what can happen is, is we can go back to thinking that the president stays on Sunday. Here's what I mean. We can start constructing our own box of how Jesus is in this Christian life that we live. And we can think, well, this is what a Christian is, and this is what a Christian isn't, and certainly they're not going to heaven. But just so you know, when you get to heaven, that line's going to be full of people. You're going to be like, no way. There's no way that got in because they weren't in my box. And my box says that they're not in. But guess what? They're going to be there. Hey, Billy, what's up? Oh, And Jesus confronted this in his day. In fact, Jesus turned the religious ideas of his day on on their ears. He just, he flipped the script in so many ways, you can't even count them. Jesus uh, came to do a new thing, and he's still doing it. He's, He's still wanting to help us understand that maybe the ways that we've always thought about him or maybe the ways that we've always accepted we're going to be, that's not true. He wants to do new things in us constantly. Now, many of us are sitting here this morning, and we, by the grace of God, have understood the big new thing, which is faith in Jesus Christ, right? We went from this life without God, without Jesus, without knowing who he is or without caring who he is, and all of a sudden we came to a service like this or talked to a friend, you know, from Bay Life or some other Christian, and they explained Christ to us, and we're like, oh, and we got it. And we received the big new thing, which is faith in Jesus Christ. Yay! Right? But if, if, if it hasn't been made clear to you, that was the beginning of the new things that Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants to radically alter your, uh, your box on how you live. He wants you to understand your marriage through his eyes. He, he wants you to understand uh, your work relationships through new eyes. He wants you to understand your attitudes and your actions through, through his lens. He, he wants you to see life as he sees life because that's the life that will lead to life to the full. And that's going to take these old dogs learning some new tricks, right? We're going to have to figure out the new things that Jesus wants in our lives and be ready for them and willing to accept them. The Pharisees and the other religious leaders of the day of that Christ is being spoken of here, they, they, weren't, they weren't getting it, and they certainly weren't receiving what Jesus had to bring. But I'm here to tell you that we need to break out of the box that is our religion. A religion, to me, uh, it kind of sounds like rigid, and usually it is. Re- religion is man's construct of how God is. It's, it's our manipulations of him. It's our renderings of him. I used to talk to people who were, you know, close to coming to Christ, but they'd always come up with a reason why they didn't have to. Yeah, I hear you saying I need to surrender my life to Jesus, repent of my sins, admit that I'm a sinner, all that stuff. I know I need to believe in Christ and him alone to save me from my sins, but here's why I'm not. And you know what they'd kind of spell out for me bullet-wise? They'd just say, well, here's, you know, here, I'm, I, I'm not as bad as Dahmer, way better than Hitler. And so because I'm, you know, hoping that God grades on a scale, I'll get in. Or, I, you know, I've, I've done more things, more good things than bad things, and so my scale is kind of, you know, yeah. And they think they can write their own theologies, their own tickets to heaven. And what God wants us to understand is that's not how this goes. Like I said, 
I keep changing what I'm saying. I hope it's making sense to you so far. Ultimately, uh, what Jesus wants to do is he wants to remodel our lives. Eleanor and I are middle, in the middle of remodeling a house that was built in 1961. There's been lots of changes since we started the process. Like we, we were hoping we could keep all the original wood because it was really cool. Uh, but we found out that if we wanted to really keep that wood, it was going to cost us like almost double in the electricity just to get the electrical that we need to replace up to, you know, get up to code inside that wood. So guess what we did last week? Ripped all the wood out. It was cathartic. It was fun. Uh, but now we're down to the, to the blocks in our house. And we're going to rebuild a house inside this house. Like plumbing, electrical, everything. It's all brand new. And to me, this is what Jesus wants to do in the lives of every person here. He wants to rip us down to the blocks, give us life with him, life that, that leads to life to the full, and he wants to repattern, reshape, reimagine our lives with us so that his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Let's discover today the ways that Jesus uh, doing a new thing differs from the ways that religion has always functioned. That's a question I want to answer. How is Jesus different from religious people of his and our time? And we're going to see a few of them here as we go through these, these verses. First thing we're going to see is that Jesus is a pursuer of lost losers. I said that purposely for effect. He's a pursuer of, of the least of these uh, we as religious people sometimes might think, you know what, God doesn't have time for them, neither do I. But Jesus always has time for the, loose, the lost losers, and he, he wants to, to be with them so that they can be saved. Here we go, story of Levi, chapter 5, verse 27. After this, after remember last week we were talking about this lame guy who came down through the roof, and he got healed and ran away uh, and rejoicing. Sometime after that, Jesus uh, goes out there in that region, probably the other uh, Gospels tell us in a region called Capernaum or Galilee, and he sees a tax collector. Dun, 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 dun. Tax collectors are not the favorites of their culture. Maybe you've heard this story about a wee little man uh, named Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus was a publican. He was actually like a managerial level, ta- level tax collector. He had a bunch of tax collectors under him. Levi was just one of those, you know, uh, grunts. But a tax collector all the same. Now, they, they were hated because they worked for Rome. Boo. And they would always rip people off on their taxes. They would set up their tables and uh, right, like right by the gates of a town or a city. And they would say, before you can go into this town, you have to pay me this tax that I just made up. And they'd have big goons there who would say, yeah, you got to do that. And then you'd have to cough up whatever money just so you could go into town. They were like the uh, ancient toll booth. So here's, uh, you know, Levi sitting outside of this town that he lives in, taking taxes. Everybody hates him. And Jesus comes up, doesn't pay his tax. He just stares at him. He says, it says there that he went out and he saw a tax collector. That's the Greek word that we don't usually see when we see the word see or saw in the, in the, in the Greek text. Uh, it's a word that actually means like transfix on, to stare at, so as to study and understand. So here's Jesus. And he walks up to Levi and he just stares at him. Is this bothering you? It bothers me. You know, people stare at you too long. You're like, what? And you're like trying to figure out, is there something on my face? What's going on? But Jesus is just staring at Levi. And Levi, you know, is just going on with his business, doesn't really even look up. Jesus keeps staring. I wish we had the whole conversation. I'm assuming there, may, there could have been more words. Maybe there wasn't. Maybe it was just a stare. 
And then Jesus says to him these words. Same words he says uh, to his, his friends who are fishermen. Same words that he says to all 12 of the guys who ended up following him. He says, hey, man, follow me. Now, the religious people of the day would be like, wait, you, just, you asked who to be your follower? The tax collector? Why didn't you go to the synagogue and find, like, the, the cream of the crop there? I mean, and as long as we're at it, let's talk about it. Your first four followers are fishermen, really? You know those guys didn't make it past sixth grade? I mean the equivalent in the Jewish school system, because if you weren't smart enough uh, to, to learn the, uh, the, 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 the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, and memorize them, that's, that's where your schooling stopped. And so fishermen were fishermen because they hadn't made it through rabbi school or, or the, you know, the, the Jewish parochial school, if you want to call it that. So here's the dumbest of the dumb, and, and Jesus is picking the fishermen to be his followers. Well, now he's, now he's even taken a few steps lower, and he's talking to Levi. But Jesus is the pursuer of those who are the lost losers. Look what happens with Levi. I wish we had more time you know, or more explanation. It's just a simple verse, but it says that he left everything. Leaving everything, Levi rose and followed him. Now, some of us, we just rush through these verses when we're reading the Bible. You've got to stop for a second. This guy had been a tax collector for however long. How long have you been doing your job? Long time. And Jesus comes to him, and he says, hey, follow me. And Levi, on a dime, drops everything that he's ever known. That's what that, it's the aorist tense. He left everything. Finished. I tried to make it. Anyway. And what's it say he does? He gets up and he walks away from his life. Everything that he's known in life, he walks away from and he follows Jesus. This, this, this Jesus guy is pretty cool that he can make people get up and just do these kinds of things. There must be something about him. We'll get to that. So Levi, wanting to show his gratitude to Jesus, throws him a feast. That's what it says. Levi made him, Jesus, a great feast. And he did it for for at least three reasons. The first one is obvious. He wanted to celebrate what Jesus had done for him. Thank you, Jesus. This is a reasonable uh, reaction, the only reasonable reaction for those of us who have been blessed by the grace of God, just so you know. So if you're one of these Christians who's, you know, just constantly, turn that frown upside down, all right? Because if, you have, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, well, you don't know my life, Mark. I, I get it. But you, if you have Jesus, life is, is better regardless of what your circumstances are. It's something that you can celebrate every day that you wake up, good or bad, no matter what the circumstances. You have found the meaning of life. It's life with Christ. He saved you from your sins. That's a good thing. Party. Christians should be the smilingest people on the planet. That's what Levi is doing. He's, He's thanking Jesus with this great feast. Now, He's also thrown himself his own going-away party, right? He's just left everything, so he's, he's basically collecting all of his friends, and he's saying, hey, I'm out. <laughs> Someone else is going to have to sit at the table tomorrow because I'm done collecting taxes. I'm following this guy. It's his own going-away party. But then here's, here's what I think uh, we need to learn from as far as Levi throwing this party. Uh, Levi has, has met the, the master. He's met Jesus. And sure, he wants to celebrate him, and sure, he wants to say goodbye to his friends. But more than anything, I think Levi wants his lost loser friends to meet the guy who's made the difference in his life, too. We see that throughout the scriptures. 
that someone has this radical transformation, and their first reaction is to go tell other people so that those other people can have the same experience that they're having. Remember the woman at the well? There's this woman at a well in Samaria. Jesus has no business talking to her. She has no business talking to Jesus, but they have a conversation anyway because Jesus was a rule breaker. And, and so uh, Jesus basically says, hey, you give me some water. She says, well, you know, you, know, you should have got your own water. He says, if you had asked me for, you know, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. Remember he said that to her? And she's like, well, why, why would I get a drink from you? You don't even have a bucket. You know, it's kind of stupid. And, uh, but he's, he's, not, he's like, I'm not talking about literal water. I'm talking about living water. I'm talking about a water that will never, you'll never thirst again. And she's like, ah, gah, gah, gah. you know, this crazy carpenter from, from, you know, Nazareth is talking to me about all this water stuff. And then Jesus asked her that question. Remember that question? He says, well, hey, why don't you go get your husband? And she's like, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, that's right, you've had five, and the dude you're sleeping with now isn't your husband at all. Went all TMZ on her right there, right? <laughs> and she's like, how did you know that? Her, her, her tone changes. They start talking about worship, and should we worship on this mountain or that mountain? And Jesus says, you know what, someday you're going to worship in spirit and truth. There's, and he, she says, well, we know there's one coming who's going to change everything. And G, I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus says, hey, guess what? You're talking to him. I'm the Messiah. And do you remember what she does? It says immediately she drops her jar, the, the water jug that she came to fill at this well. She drops it. And what she do? Books! runs. I don't know about you. If I just met the son of God, I'm sticking around. I got some questions. I want to know this and I want to know that. And I just want to stay near him. But what does she do? Not for fear. Not, not because she's like, Oh, get away from me. You know, she just starts running. Where does she go? To town. She goes back to her hometown, the place where everybody knows she has five husbands and she's sleeping around with someone who isn't her husband. She's, got, she's going to all these people who are like, ooh, cooties, get away. And she keeps running up to them. And she keeps saying, you've got to come out to the well. And they're like, it's the middle of the day. It's hot. It's the desert. Why would we go out there? She says, I've met the Messiah. You've got to meet him too. And I picture headlocks. I picture this woman just dragging townspeople out to this well. Why? Because once you've experienced, as the Hebrews call it, once you've experienced so great a salvation, once you've been saved and truly understand what that means, like some of us, we got saved when we were six, and we maybe never fully appreciated what, what this salvation we've experienced in Christ is. But when you slow down long enough to realize, I've been saved from my sins by the God who will judge me otherwise, it kind of changes your... Your, your, your priorities in life. It changes your calendar. And for this tax collector, same thing. I got to get my friends to Jesus. I got they got to meet this guy who's changed my life. I hope that's your heart, my heart, for our Savior when it comes to our friends who don't know him. He throws this party, and he's hanging out, it says, uh, with, with a bunch of tax collectors and others. Others is probably a, a word there used to, uh, to, to represent Gentiles. These, these tax collectors would be friends with Romans who weren't Jews, and so they would actually invite these non-Jewish people into their homes, <gasps> horror, and uh, they would hang out with them. And he wanted all of them, Jews and Gentiles, tax collectors, all these others, to make sure that they met Jesus. And they did. They sat down at a table, actually reclined at a table. You would sit on your hip, 
uh, and just kind of lean into the guy next to you. But they all hung out at this table, and they might have even had, you know, beverages made from hops. I don't know. But, uh, but they hung out at this, this, this scene, you know, that was Levi's scene. And outside, well, things aren't going so well. He makes this great feast, and outside are some Pharisees, the religious of the day. And while Jesus was pursuing lost losers, the righteous, uh, quotations there, the righteous religion, religious shunned them. The Pharisees just couldn't understand why Jesus would be in the house of a tax collector. And they say as much to his disciples, the Pharisees and their scribes, these religious, righteous men, they, they grumbled at his disciples and they said, hey, what are you guys doing? Why are you eating and drinking with the scum of our town? This is like dirtbag central in here. And haven't you read Leviticus 10.10? They had. The Pharisees had based their entire box, their theological construct, on the fact that in Leviticus 10.10 it basically says, don't uh, involve yourself with those who are unholy. So here's, here's what the Pharisees' chief objections were with Jesus. He hung out with the wrong people, and he didn't do enough of the right things, so said them. He hung around with the wrong people. This is one of those cases. And he didn't do the right things. He was outside their box. And these Pharisees, who were of, of all the religious groups in Israel at the time, were the most anticipatory of the coming of the Messiah. The, 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 here he was, and they just couldn't see him because he didn't fit what, he th- what they thought he would be. Jesus goes on to explain, well, I know you're shunning these guys, but here's why I'm hanging out with them. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, and read into that, they need a doctor. Guess who the doctor is? Me. Guess who the sick are? Levi, his friends. Guess what my role is? My role is to help these people who are sick, who are outside of God and his grace uh, currently. I want to bring them into that. That's why my father sent me. It would be pretty dumb for you and I to, like, leave here be perfectly well and go sit in the ER for however long the wait is and then go see a doctor and have him say, well, you're fine. I don't know why you're here. Well, you know, I was perfectly well, but I thought I'd hang out in the ER. That's just dumb, right? And Jesus says, well, if you, guys, if you don't get it, this is, this is God's mission on earth, to make crooked things straight, to take things that are sick and make them well. You've heard of all my healings. Go talk to, you know, the guy who was lame Larry last week. I mean, he's up and running around. He's glad I showed up. Sorry, Larry. This is interesting. It's the first time air quotes were ever used in history. Ready? I have not come to call. Everybody do it with me. The righteous. (laughs) But I've come to call sinners and call them to repentance. I've come to take people who are broken, spiritually wrecked, and I've come to restore them by leading them into repentance. Now, why would he use air quotes on the righteous there? Because he was looking right at these Pharisees who were pretty certain they were righteous. Like we are, us and God, tight. Because we're rule followers. We do everything that we're supposed to do, so says our box. And so that's made us, in our own minds, I mean, we're, we're the fourth members of the Trinity over here, right? I mean, we are nailing it. That's what the Pharisees think. We're in because of all that we've done. You're out because of who you're hanging out with and what you're drinking with them. 
And so let me just pause the sermon for a second. Some of you are like, yeah, preach it, Mark. I can drink all I want now. Slow your roll, cowboy, all right? Uh, am I saying, listen, there's a tightrope. We've talked about it before. There's a tightrope in this life with Christ. You can fall into license, which is going too far into the world. You can fall into legalism, which is going too far into religion. And then there is liberty, which is where we're meant to stay. So don't go home and tell somebody, you know what Pastor Mark said, I can go to Ebor every Saturday night. He wants me to hang out with the lost losers. Woo! That's not what I'm saying. Can you go to Ebor and hang out with your friends? Yeah. Can you drink what they're drinking or as much as they're drinking? No. Why? Because, one, refusing to hang out with those who don't know Jesus, that's legalism. Hanging out with those who don't know Jesus and acting just like them, that's license. We bring our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the liberty that he brings to our lives to those who need him most because they're sick and they need to be well. Just like, just everybody look at me, just like we are sick. We were sick. And Jesus has made us well. Push pause again. Back to the sermon. <laughs> These Pharisees thought they were righteous. And Jesus knew they weren't. They weren't. In Romans, it says in Romans 3 that none are righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody's a hot mess. It's just these guys didn't know they were. These guys didn't know they were. Going back to that last blank. I know I got ahead of you. These guys didn't know they were because they were the religious. And what are the religious? What's the main goal of religion? To control life, to control God and life. I'm going to manipulate God through this box that I construct, and he's going to fit inside here. And as long as I do what I think I need to do inside my box, God will bend to me. That's religion. You look at all the other religions of the world, they're based on man's actions. If you hit all your marks, do all the things that are required of you, then God will accept you. It's based on man's works. But we don't live in a religion as Christians. We aren't, I mean, you could classify us if you want semantically as a religion, but we are not religious because we don't see our works as what secures us in our relationship with God. We see the works of his son, Jesus Christ, as what secures us in a relationship with God. Not our works, it's his. And it's our faith in what Jesus has done that saves us. Not our efforts. Now, do we do things for Jesus? Let me cover that real quick. Absolutely. Levi threw him a party. Why? Grateful. Grateful for his grace. We live in light of what Jesus has done for us. Of course we're going to do things that would honor him and glorify him. But we don't do them so that he'll like us. He already does. And we don't do them so that he'll save us. Jesus did that on the cross. The religious want to control life. Look what happens next in the story. Same party here in the book of Luke. They turn to Jesus finally. They've only dealt with his disciples up to this point, but they turn to Jesus after he corrected them on the whole doctor and sick thing. And they said, well, listen, listen, you got, we don't understand you guys at all. The disciples of John, who's John? The Baptist, right? All right, so, so he takes, like the, the Pharisees are going to be like, look, just don't take our word for it. There's other religious groups, the disciples of John. I mean, we're not super crazy about them, but at least they pray and fast like we do. That's our box. The disciples of John pray and fast, fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Ah, that's them, right? We're over here. We're praying. We're fasting. We're doing all these things that everybody accepts as being the religious things of our day. But your disciples, they're in there with Levi and these other sinners, and they're whooping it up, eating, drinking, 
We didn't even see you pray for, pray for the meal. What is going on? How can you say that you're the sent one from God and not do the things that we expect you to do? And Jesus says, oh, you guys. You're just, you're just going to have to accept that you don't get this. Let me explain what's going on. Jesus says to him, I want to give life. I haven't come so that everybody walk around. You know, I've come around so that people can have life and have it to the full. Look what he says. He says this. Hey, can you make a wedding guest fast, mourn, be somber when they're in the presence of the bridegroom? Okay, everybody go back to your weddings. Was it like a funeral? Some of you are like, kind of. Anyway, uh, <laughs> now that I think about it. No, but most weddings, I mean, they should be, they should be reverent and all that stuff as far as involving God in these things. But let, let, go to the reception. All right? Did everybody just kind of mope around at your reception? No hugs, no congratulations. You know, everybody's sorry. I'm so sorry you got married. I'm so sorry. So what happened at your reception? Can you imagine all the people that you had stand up with you? Everybody you made buy, you know, like buy a dress and rent a tux. You may, maybe they, you know, I've been in those weddings where I've been like, oh. But, uh, uh, but, but if, if they came in and they weren't the happiest for you in all the room, like these closest ends to you, your family members and friends, if they weren't just like, mm, wouldn't there be something awry there? I mean, that's not, that's not a great wedding. And Jesus says, hey, man, well, who's the bridegroom? Jesus. If a pastor asks you a question, say Jesus. Jesus is the bridegroom. He says, listen, how can the attendants, the guests at this, this wedding feast, that's what he's, what he's basically saying, I'm here. How can, how can we expect them to fast and mourn and pray and uh, all this? Mm, how can we expect them to do that when I'm here, man? If there has ever been a time to party on earth, it's this three and a half years where Jesus walks the globe. God's son in the flesh, God in a bod. I mean, doing miracles. Can you imagine? I want a time machine. I want to go back and see this stuff. I don't know if it's a hot tub or not, but but I want to go back. And I want to be there when Jesus is walking around because you've got to know lepers were cleansed. Lame guys got up and walked. People walked on water. You think you could wipe the smile off my face if I'm watching this stuff go down? This is like... Infinity days at Disney, if that's your thing. That would be hell for me. But if that's your thing. (laughs) It's just the best thing you could ever think of in life. And, And these disciples woke up to it every day. And Jesus is like, can you blame these guys? Can you blame Levi for celebrating? He just, he just found out the meaning of life. Would that put a smile on your face? He goes on, he says, listen, there's going to be a time, there's going to be a day uh, when the bridegroom is taken away. I'm not always going to be here. And yeah, things are going to get tough then. And it's going to be suitable in those days for those who follow me to pray and fast like you and the disciples of John do. We would call that the church age. These last 2,000 years since Jesus left. I mean, listen, it's still, if you're a follower of Jesus, it still smiles. But are there hard days? Can marriages get rough? Can things go wrong? Do our, do our bodies break down? Yeah. Are there hard days? Absolutely. And are there things in this broken world that you know, we as the redeemed lived in? Are there things that are needing of prayer and, and, and needing? Absolutely. Come on. Read Acts, Luke's ever other uh, uh, you know, bookend 
uh, contribution to the, to the New Testament. Read Acts. Things get really bad really fast for those who follow Jesus. Yeah, there's going to be a time for prayer and fasting. But don't forget that if you found Jesus, your countenance has changed. Jesus, he's going to make everything all right. Now he goes on and he says this. He wants them to understand <coughs> that he understands. I get why you Pharisees don't get this yet. Because a lot of people are going to come to me. Remember he told this parable about seeds being thrown in the ground and that some seeds take root and some teens, you know, they kind of grow up fast and then fade and all that. He gets it that, that his good news is not going to be everybody's good news. Is that still the way it is in the world today? might even be that way for you. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the big good news, which is putting faith in Christ. If that's you, I pray that today's another step in your process of finding faith in Jesus Christ. But, but even in, in those of us who are Christians, sometimes Jesus wants to come and he wants to alter what's going on in our lives. And we're like, I don't know if that's good news for me. That sounds like it's going to be work. Sounds like you want me to change. Well, I don't know if I want to do that. And so Jesus gets it, and he's, he's basically going to tell some parables. He says, I understand that not everybody's going to see my good news as good news. And he's going to give four reasons or mindsets when it comes to his good news. The first mindset he's going to talk about is that some people come to the good news of Jesus, this new thing that he's doing, and they take a dab of the new, and they try to mix it in with all of the old. Look what he says. He tells a parable. He says, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. All right, so you got two shirts. One is your Grateful Dead T-shirt from high school. It's got, you know, the, there's, there's no armpits anymore. I mean, it's, it's Swiss cheese, right? And then you got this brand-new shirt that someone got you for Christmas. Haven't even worn it yet. And you're thinking is, you know what, I'm going to take this shirt, and I'm going to cut pieces off of this brand-new shirt, and I'm going to patch it onto this old shirt, and it's going to make this old shirt as good as new. No, what's it going to do? It's going to make like a. It's going to look like a patched up Grateful Dead T-shirt that no one should be wearing. Let it go, right? What would be the smart thing to do in that instance? Just put on the new shirt. Start wearing the new shirt. Don't take. Here's here's his point. Don't try to patch your life with pieces of me. And this, listen, heed this. If you're not hearing me on this, wake up. This is the end of the sermon. Pay attention. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there's the air quotes again. Like if you're playing church, if you're taking pieces of the Jesus thing and just kind of patch them on to what has been your box of life, you're, this is my construct, and I'm going to try to shove some Jesus in there so I look Christian. That's not Christian. This is an all or nothing proposal. We don't try to patch our old life up with some Jesus and, and make it work. Jesus wants to take him as a whole and exchange our old life with this new life that he wants to give us, right? And that's the quest of every Christ follower. To receive that initially, that's called our salvation. To receive that perpetually, that's called our sanctification. When it comes, and, and, and anybody here get forgetful? I don't know about you, but I learned some things from Jesus a long time ago, and I've either never adopted them, or I've had like spits and sparts and, and beginnings and endings, spits and sparts, I don't know what that is. Fits and starts is where I think I was going. Like, I'll just forget the things that I already knew I was supposed to do. And so, you know what Jesus, he called, he, we have to experience the renewing of our minds. Remember that text? To, to be renewed in our minds? It's because sometimes we can forget the things that we already know, and Jesus needs to kind of come in and be like, hey, let me fix that again. 
Let me get you back to the things in your marriage that, that honor me and work in your love of your spouse. Let, let, me, let me flip that switch for you. Some of us, <clears throat> we, we come to the Jesus thing and, and say, oh, I love it, I'm in. And so we take all of that new, all of that, that, that grace that Jesus gives us, but we're just going to hold this one thing back here. You've seen me do this before, right? Yeah, give me that Jesus gospel. Give me that good news. Give it all to me. I'm just going to have this one area, just this one piece. But everything else will be awesome. This is what Jesus has to say about that. He says, listen, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, well, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. It's, it's, it's going to blow up everything if you don't have new wine and new wineskins. His point, it's got to all come in. The entire new has to come in. You can't take the gospel and say, you know what, I'm going to do the whole thing except for this one thing because that old wineskin, well, that's going to mess up the whole of what you brought in. Are you following me? Mark, sounds like you're telling me I have to be perfect. Yeah, the Bible says be holy as God is holy. Well, I'm not perfect. Hey, join the club. How's it going? Anybody here? Anybody here not perfect? But does God want us surrender to him in the areas that we're not perfect? Yeah, do you have to be perfect in being perfect? No, because none of us will be able to do that until we get to heaven. But do you have to be surrendered in the areas that you're not perfect? Yes, and willing to change in those areas. Say it with me. Yes, and changing in those areas. Say it with me. Yes. You can't take the whole thing and hold stuff back. Because if you take the whole thing in and you got that one, it's just going to blow up. New wine expands. Old wineskins don't. And so it's new and nothing old. Not a patch. Not leaving something behind. It's new and nothing old. Now, the Pharisees come to this question. Here's what they say. The Pharisees say this. I don't want any of it. (laughs) They heard Jesus preach over and over again. I mean, can you imagine being a Pharisee and being like, you know, front row? Like they were front row last week when the lame guy got healed. I mean, don't you think just one of them would have been like, wow, I'm with Jesus. But we don't have any record of that. I mean, we got Nicodemus. Remember John chapter 3? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He kind of goes over to the dark side that is Christ and good news and all that stuff. But the rest of the Pharisees, over and over again, see the miracles, hear the teachings. And all they could come away with is like, oh, this guy's a threat. We've got to kill him. Because this is what they're doing. La, 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 The whole time Jesus is talking. Why? Because he doesn't fit in their box. And so if you don't listen, if you tell me I've got to repent of my sins, if you're telling me that I'm lost, I am not lost. I am a Pharisee. I am the righteous in Israel. And no uppity carpenter is going to come in here and tell me that I have not attained righteousness. And they never hear anything after that. You read the book. It's in there. They end up killing him. Why? Because this is their mentality, and Jesus talks about it. He says, listen, There's some of you who say that uh, after drinking old wine, I have no desire for the new because the old wine is good. People are still doing that today. I don't want the new stuff. I don't want this Jesus thing. Listen, man, I got my box. I've I've shaped God in my mind. He's going to comply. I've manipulated him. He's going to comply to my wishes. And if there is a heaven, he's going to take me into his heaven because I'm a good person. None of the religions uh, are, are invalid. They all work because I say so. Is everybody getting this? 
We create our theology, and we're like, I don't need Jesus because I'm just fine with my box. And that's what the Pharisees did. That's what a lot of people do. Maybe it's what you're doing. And it may, listen, you might even be a Christian, and you're saying, well, I don't need Jesus in his teaching in this area of my life because the way I'm doing is just fine. Ask the people around you if the way you're doing is just fine. Allow yourself for just a second. If you're one of these people, allow yourself just for a second to entertain the thought that maybe Jesus, who has changed all these other parts of your life, might know best for this part of your life. And allow him to shape you in those things. Don't be pharisaical in any part of your life. Don't be, don't be a box maker in any part of your life. Be like Levi. That's the last thing. Levi, what's he do? He's tax collecting at a table outside of town. He's minding his own business. He locks eyes with the Savior, and everything's changed. He wants all of the new. Go back. He wants all of the new. And he's, he's leaving the old. And you follow the story of Matthew. He wrote the book of Matthew, by the way, this guy, Levi. We don't have the story of when Jesus changed his name, but in Matthew chapter 9, same story as this one here in Luke, except the guy's name isn't Levi, it's Matthew. So we know that somewhere along the line, Jesus changed Levi's name to Matthew, just like he changed Simon's name to Peter. He changed, you know what Matthew means? All the mats in the room, get ready, you're going to love this. Matthew means gift of God. And you're like, yeah, I knew that. All the Matthews are like, that's right, that's me. But somewhere along the line, Jesus changed Levi's name to Gift of God. Why did he do that? Because Levi, for 2,000 years, has been the trendsetter for what it is to truly receive this new thing that Jesus is doing in our lives. You leave everything, and you follow him. That's what it says about him in verse 28. Remember that? We read it. He left everything, and he followed Jesus. So now, may you and I, by the grace of God, Understand that Jesus, from the beginning of his ministry till 2,000-whatever years later, he's always been about doing a new thing. For those of us who, are, who, are, or who were outside of faith, the first new thing that we experienced was that grace-by-faith conversion, our, our acceptance of him as God's son, our acceptance of his work for us on the cross, and how it could save us from our sins. That was the first new thing. But that wasn't the only new thing. He wants to constantly have us wake up to these, these, these new mercies. They're new every morning, the Old Testament tells us. Great is, our faith, great is God's faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. He wants us to wake up every day to the new things that he wants for us in our lives. And so may you and I avoid the box. May you and I refuse to create a theology of our own construct. May you and I be surrendered. That's what we say around here, right? We exist to surrender to God. May you and I get surrendered and stay surrendered so that the new things that Jesus wants to accomplish in us can be brought to reality as we follow him in life. Amen? Let's pray for that. God, by your grace, that's what our hope is, that we would be new every morning, that we would experience from you uh, your grace and that we would walk in newness of life. What I say to everybody who gets baptized in this church, as they come out of the water, I say, may you walk in the newness of life. Lord, help us never uh, to, to, to go back to the box, to never manipulate like our tendency is you or, or your plans for us. Help us to stay surrendered. 
Help us to be available to you, uh, to, to reach out to the Levi's in our lives. Uh, help us, God, to, to invite other lost losers like us into the fold so that they can know you. Uh, keep us, Lord, from, uh, from, from, the, from the attitudes of the Pharisees that would keep certain people out and would demand certain actions that you don't demand. Help us to walk this line of liberty with you, trusting you for only uh, your path and for what only you can give. And by grace, uh, we will live this new life to the glory of your Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go. We'll see you at the picnic. Bring a chair. Talk to you then.